correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Hey, hey, what's up? And we're going to talk some RPGs, but before we get into that, we're going to talk about a podcast for the week, which is Werewolf the Podcast. Yes. Or as you sometimes call it, Werewolf the Up Podcast. The Up Podcast. I like that. I think they should have called it that. <laughs> <laughs> because it's a podcast all about Werewolf the Apocalypse. So it's interviews, discussion, um, actually even book reviews with a lot of the, be it the re-releases, just sometimes going back and, and looking at the books. And um, really good show if you're into the Werewolf game. Josh, the main host, is really, really good. We had him on. Yeah, we had him on a while back to talk about Werewolf. Super, super knowledgeable. <laughs> and quite frankly, I felt rather lost because, you know, like the amount that he's forgotten dwarfs the amount that I know. <laughs> but again, you know, if you're into that, yeah, check that out. That's Again, that's Werewolf the Podcast. I don't remember the show address off the top of my head, but I know you can find it on pretty much every podcatcher. And uh, there'll be a link as usual in the show notes. So that being said, check it out. Good show. Yeah. Go check that out. Well, you came up with our topic for the week. I did. I did. This is a very high energy day for us, by the way. I know. Well, we just come off the new year and uh, I think we're both sort of still hung over. <laughs> well, not, I mean, not actually, I did have, but yeah, <laughs> I had a beer with dinner last night, but you know, it's like, yeah, you're just sort of in that. Weird post-holiday malaise. Oh, I hate that. I hate... I oh. These holidays always hit so close to each other that it's like, oh... Yeah. Get a break. It's weird. Um, it is. But I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about creativity and rule system complexity. Because I think there's... I don't know. I think there's opinions out there that systems with a lot of rules stifle creativity and systems with very few rules encourage it. And while I think there's merit to both arguments, I don't know that I a hundred percent agree with either one. Yeah. I think there's some argument to be said that, you know, in, in modern gaming, typically more narrative based games roll towards rules light or rules lighter, I should say, meaning that like, Maybe they're not completely rules light, but they're, you know, they feel that way, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel Genesis isn't a rules light system, but I feel like it plays lighter than it feels, right? Lighter than it looks. That's a good way to say it. It reads much crunchier than it plays, that's for certain. That's for certain. And, and you know, I think there's a lot of systems out there like PVTA or... Fate. Fate. There's a lot of those systems that are rules light that are that are advertised and pushed really as a, a narrative system, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea being that 
with this, the rules aren't going to get in your way. You'll be able to just play the game. You don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about making roles and, and all this stuff. But I don't know. I think, I think the only thing that I'll say, the, 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 my starting argument is that crunchy games can be narratively heavy. <laughs> right. Okay. And my point to that is cyberpunk 2020. It's a fairly crunchy game that is if run with the right people with the right understanding of the system with the right understanding of the world is one of the best narrative games that you're going to play and it's not the crunchiest game in the world but it is definitely crunchier than let's say genesis or mm-hmm. pbta well i mean on that route have you listened to any of the carrion company stuff from liam and those guys over at mud and blood yeah. Okay, they're playing 4th edition Warhammer. Yeah, that's super crunchy, but it gets into really deep narrative. Mm-hmm. I think my only complaint with that, and this is just a complaint with that system, is that every now and again, that system just grinds itself to a halt. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. And I know Liam in particular has expressed thoughts on the system. But yeah, like I think, you know, to echo your point, I don't think crunch and narrative are exclusive. Um, nor do I think, how do I want to say this? Nor do I think necessarily that narrative and, oh wait, how do I want to say this? I don't think crunch in any way excludes creativity either. And I would argue that at least for some people, a lack of crunch can actually stifle creation because they don't know what to stand on to start being creative. Right. You know, yeah, you don't you don't have a great foundation to be like, okay, I know where I can go with this. Yeah, and it, it and it's weird, okay, and and part of this is brought on because, and you actually missed the last session, but we have been playing a power our our actual first experience playing a powered by the apocalypse game, and it's been interesting because the only person who's played it before is the GM, mm-hmm. and so he has a really good sense of kind of what's supposed to happen, but the rest of us have all pretty much come from a more traditional games background. And it's been interesting to watch myself and the rest of the table just sort of kind of feel our way into the much bigger narrative steps that it wants you to take. And, you know, some of the people around the table, I know pretty darn well. And, to say that they're not creative would be a massive understatement. But at the same point, there's you're almost afraid to take the steps. Like you're almost afraid to um, be seen as the person hogging the table. Almost. I think there's the, the afraid to be seen as hogging the table. There's also that sort of, I want to be creative, but I don't want to step on either other players or the GM. Mm Hmm. And I think I'll get into it more later, but I think that in a lot of ways, it's something I think, I think there's a lot to be learned from it. And I think that's where I'm going to kind of leave the statement for the moment because, well, maybe not. Okay. So what I mean by there's a lot to be learned from it is there is not really that much mechanical structure behind powered by the apocalypse. It's you do the thing really well, you do it, but it worked, but other stuff that you didn't quite want to sort of happened or 
oh crap, it went bad. Right. Okay. Now, but you, you have a lot as the player have a lot of say in that, both in what both went in wrong, what <laughs> went wrong or what went right. Yeah. But even more than that, I think one of the points where I found myself kind of struggling is thinking in small picture when describing what my character is trying to do, where what I think what PBTA wants is kind of a, almost you're describing like a, almost a mini montage, depending on the specific context. But, you know, it's not, oh, I swing my sword and, you know, deftly find the creases in the armor or whatever. No, it's, it's this, you know, I engage the monster and, you know, blades clash, Blah blah, you know, it, it's it's a much bigger, longer thing. It's not the single action that many of us have kind of come to think in. I guess is maybe the right word from most traditional games. Right, right. So it's it's more a period of time rather than it being just one or two attacks. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's more or or to put it maybe even in a better context in let's say it's a social thing right where let's say my character is reaching out to contacts to try and find something well it's not you know i'm calling my buddy tom and okay well you know make a roll no it's i'm calling my contacts and so you know i'm i'm texting this guy maybe i'm calling this guy and then you kind of roll and it's covering the whole gamut of everything and did you strike out? Did you get a little bit of information, a little bit here, a little bit of information there that maybe you can't quite figure out how it goes together? Or did you get a bunch of information from a couple different places that all really ties together nice? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I know what I'm thinking. I don't know if I'm explaining it well. Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. It, it I don't know. It's just, uh, I feel like, well, we've, okay. We've talked about railroading before, right? Right. We've talked about how railroading isn't necessarily a bad thing especially with players that don't really know what they want to do or or know what they want to do just don't know how to go about it mm-hmm. and i feel like that's where in my opinion not that i dislike it i think it's a really good system i think it's a really good game i've been enjoying what i played of monster of the week but i think that it's where that's different than let's say a rules heavy or something like Genesis that is a little bit more concrete, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think having the more concrete helps a little bit for me, mm-hmm. at least, because it gives me an idea of what my scope of abilities actually are without overstepping. And, and I think that's the thing with PBTA is that short for the GM actually saying, no, that's an overstep. I think you just need to be not afraid to go all right, well, then I'm going to do this, 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 and just let it happen. And if the GM says, no, that's too much, then, okay, well, then let's narrow it down to, I just want to try for this particular thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where maybe a more rules-defined or rules-heavy game is, or crunchy even, is where those shine through, is because, like I said, Cyberpunk 2020 may not be the crunchiest game in the world, but you know, based on your character sheet, what you can do and what you can't do well. Right. Yeah. And, and how do I want to say, like I found the little bit of monster of the week we played so far 
to be really enjoyable and and kind of I feel like I've I've learned that I don't necessarily need and specifically in that context but I don't necessarily need to think as tight as I've often made myself do it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something one I want to play more games along those lines not all the time but I think it's something I want to kind of try and take back to crunchier games more in the the idea of maybe worrying less about okay the rules say that this is a this kind of check and that is a that kind of check and a whatever and going I'm going to do this thing and then we'll figure out what dice we got to roll right well I wonder I wonder how much of that comes back to previous game experience right like i know you have a little a lot more gaming experience than i do but some of that like our recent and recent within the last well what three years um our most recent in-person stuff has all been like very well it's D D, and it's playing with people that are mm, how do i say uh rules focused that's that's fair right and so we're sort of still in that mindset of well if i do this the gm's gonna get mad at me so i gotta stay within the rules and i think with games like pbta or or whatever anything really i think it's a something that you need to be open i think both as a player and a gm but it you know it's different play styles too Mm -hmm. if you don't like that as a gm Okay, great. And if if the players don't like that, okay, then perfect. You know, I, I can match you up with however. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. And and it actually it ties in too. I um the other day I I went and hung out with uh, a couple people at a local store and had some rather interesting conversations around a lot of it was actually around D&D, specifically 5th ed. And it was kind of this interesting conversation because look, you and I are not big fans of it. And the person I was having this conversation with, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how they would describe their stance because they use it and they were in a lot of ways, almost feeling uncomfortable because they felt like they were defending it more than they intended to. Mm-hmm. But it was really interesting because we had a lot of talk around the how it's played as opposed to the actual rules and kind of some of the, well, you can do it this way. And it says it in the book that you can do it that way, but that's not how everybody does it. And kind of the, you know, like, and, and, and it just kind of got me thinking around a lot of these things. Like if, if there are rules there in some cases for me, having some rules then gives me, so to speak, a springboard to be more creative off of. Where if you just drop me in the middle of the pool, I'm kind of like, well, um, um, too many options don't know what to do. Yeah, there's a lot of stammering that goes on. <laughs> I, I, I think that's one of the things that, yeah. Um, but like, it's, it's, it's weird because I feel like, I don't want to say that most of us played D&D wrong, but I think, and specifically with, with you and I's experience, we took a very mechanically focused approach to the game. And I think perhaps what I'm getting to is that it's much easier to take a mechanical focus to a crunchy game 
And I think the mechanical focus is maybe what inhibits the creativity a little bit as opposed to the actual crunch itself. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I'm a bad person to talk about D&D because I, I played a lot of second edition and there's rules for everything in second edition. Did mm-hmm. I listen to any of them? Not really. Well, I have found myself having this strange urge to go back to like 3.5 mm-hmm. and maybe hack the crap out of it. Yeah. Because I don't, I, I don't really care to have that many different ACs, but mm. at the same point, there's a lot of things that I liked better in a way. There's a lot of things I liked better about three, five, because I like the customization better. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, I, I, I know we've ripped on 5e a lot, but I, I think 5e is well overstated. It's welcome, A. Um, B, they came in with this idea of simplification, and they simplified it too much. Yes, but... Because, well... Right, go ahead. Well, no, finish. No, I, I just feel like... Yeah, splat book, you know, yeah, the expansion books have all different, you know, different subclasses and all this stuff, but it doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same panache. It doesn't have the same feeling as like Pathfinder 3.5, where you could really delve into, I want to play a character that does this really well, or does that really well, and I want to make them at this level, like a lot of five E's locked behind what level you are based on what you can do, which I understand, especially for magic users. But like, I don't know, in my opinion, if somebody sets out and wants to be a necromancer, if they're hell bent and determined on doing it, they should be able to do it from jump street, or at least to some extent, Mm -hmm. maybe you can't raise full zombies, but maybe you could bring back a pack of gerbils. I don't know. (laughs) but you know what i'm trying like you know what i'm getting at like i can't raise a fuel full human but i could bring back a small size creature well so one of my big complaints against 5e has been that largely once you get past third level there is almost zero customizable choice Mm -hmm. aside from like some spell selection and and some stuff like that, which is customization. Don't get me wrong. However, part of the conversation that I had this past week revolved around, you know, the one thing that's missing in 5e? What's that? Multi-class penalties. Yeah. Yeah, so you just start taking your other classes. But even then, like, then you end up with these amalgam characters that are just everything. But that brought me to thinking, okay, is this a function of us playing it the way we've always played it as opposed to what's actually there. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's better, mm-hmm. but is that, is that an avenue of customization that because of our background, we overlook or kind of frown on. And yet also I wonder, is that, intimidating to someone who doesn't have an extensive background in RPGs and goes, what, I need to learn another class now? Well, that, and adding too much flavor, you lose the plot. Can, for certain. If I have, if I have a rogue fighter cleric 
paladin what like i have a dude that does everything <laughs> right like you know what i mean like i have a character that just what do you do i i fight things really well okay so you're a fighter no not really like i, I don't know i played a little bit with multi-classing i think you saw some of that when we were playing in person i i tinkered around with multi-classing a couple things mm-hmm. now granted we had a gm that wouldn't let me multi-class like at all for the first campaign we played because mm-hmm. i had asked him multiple times i'm like dude i'm bored can i do something else or like make my character do some other things and he was just like no nah. but as we ex- branched out into goofing around and got the chance to do other goofy things yeah i did do some of that multi-classing and i realized that yeah it's broken i really i, I i'm still on that like I don't care how I I don't care for how combat centric Dungeons and Dragons is. I I just don't. I'll give you that. I don't get my fun out of combat centric games like Cyberpunk kind of. But even Cyberpunk, I don't go to it for the combat. I go to it for the world and for the story. And like, I don't care how many gunfights I have. I more so care about the fact that this mob boss is trying to gun us down, right? Like, I, well, I care, I care about the consequences around the fight and not so much the fight itself. Mm-hmm. And I feel, and, and this is, I'm not trying to trash on D and D, but I feel like D and D is one of those games in my mind that it's narrative back or it's not narrative backed combat. It's all just, and then combat happens, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I think, and if I'm wrong here, someone, you know, feel free to, you know, hit me up on the discord or email us or, you know, whatever. But I feel like without opening the books to look that the vast majority of D and D abilities are statistically marked out in combat terms, if that makes sense. And so... I don't think you're wrong. I I honestly tend to believe that because the last time I read it, that was my takeaway was everything has some kind of combat focus to it. And so I think this is a case where because in some ways we're mentally conditioned to the rule says, so we have to do it this way. It's well, the rule says it's for combat. So that's where we have to use it instead of going well, the rule says it can do this in combat. So out of combat, could I do this with it? Yeah, I've done that before. I've absolutely done that and like confused, <laughs> confused people with what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you get in that mindset of like, oh, it's combat ability, right? Especially magic users, right? But I don't know. In, in, hmm. well, I guess what I'm thinking is are we doing ourselves a disservice? by just looking at the text of the rule and going, that's all it can do? Or is there a lot more fun to be unlocked by going, well, if it can do this, then it stands to reason it could do this other thing within reason. I think that's a, that's a possibility. I think that's a, that's a highly likely possibility. But at the same time, I'm not fully sold on the, uh on the all of it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i'm not like 
I'm not saying that that's not the case, but I feel like I feel like and unless there's a major shift in mindset, we're in the minority of looking at things that way. And I could be wrong and and people could pop in and say, no, 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 this is this is what the the D&D specifically D&D community is looking towards. But I feel like looking at things and using abilities outside of combat like that and looking at the ramifications of those, I wonder how much of that is us applying logic from other games to Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. But is that bad? No, I don't think it's, I don't say it's bad, but I'm just saying that I don't know that that's common thought process. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and not saying that you have, that everybody has to think the same way and everybody goes through. No, I'm just saying that I wonder how much of the actual D and D community breaks it down and thinks about it that way versus, well, yeah, I could, I, you know, I have this cantrip I can cast, but I usually only do it in combat. And I wonder how much of that, like also, cause I've done this before when I was running fifth edition back when it first really came out, I had a, like, like I've, I, I was playing in a game when it first came out and then I had a player do it and I did it completely different than how it was run on me. I've been in situations where it's like, I want to deal a little bit of damage to somebody, but I don't want to go into full rounds of combat. So I'll cast something that maybe only like I'll cast like first level magic missile, which deals like one D four of damage, which is enough to hurt, maybe make somebody bleed, but not enough to kill somebody really. Mm -hmm. And I've had GMs just be like, well, roll for initiative. Like that's not the point of this. This is not to be, not to start a fist fight. It's to, it's to be annoying. It's to be a pest. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, no, I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I I wonder how much of that has changed though. Cause it's, I've been, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I'm like you. I've been thinking about playing some, some Dungeons and Dragons again, because I've been away from that side of the hobby for so long now that I'm starting to feel like maybe I need to go back in and, 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 and check in and see what that side of the hobby's doing. Cause we, like, I don't know. I like to make myself well, a well-rounded tabletop player, right? Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, I can't just isolate one game and be like, I don't want anything to do with that. Well, sometimes, how do I put this? I don't want to isolate such a popular game and be like, nah, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't care. Like, just ignore it. It'll go away. Because it's not going away. It's a massive part of our hobby. And it's it's a big way to get, you know, I, I want to make everybody feel welcome at the table. And if that means that I have to go back to playing D&D, I'm going to have to go back to playing D, D&D because I um, I have been away from it for long enough now that I feel like I could step back in, get a feel for what's happening at a, you know, at a modern table. And see if maybe, you know, maybe I had a bad experience with 5th edition. Maybe both GMs that were, well, all of the GMs that ran it for me didn't run it the way Mm -hmm. I could enjoy it. Or maybe that's all changed. Maybe, you know, in the, because it's been, what, almost four years since we played D&D? What year did we stop? We stopped in like 2019. Didn't we play it a little bit after COVID? Like a couple of sessions and then that's when we kind of broke away so like late 2020 maybe mid to late 2020 
I don't. I, it's been I, at least two years. At least, maybe longer. I, I really don't know. It's been so long at this point that I have no idea. So, I think, I think what you were saying about well-rounded, I think that is kind of a key point. I think playing some of these other games, it's not even so much about playing the other game as it is that because of other games having a different focus, you can learn things that you can then take back to your favorite game, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you go away from your bread and butter, you can bring things back to to make your experience better in your your system of choice. And I think to, to go back a step further in the conversation, we were talking about, you know, how the the approaches between, say, a Powered by the Apocalypse versus a D&D or a crunchier game versus a, 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 a rules light narrative heavy game and i think it it i think a lot of us in a more structured crunchier game we look for permission where when we go to a rules light game we just go until we think we need forgiveness Mm -hmm. and you know it goes back to the old adage of well it's a whole lot easier to get forgiveness than permission yeah and not saying right wrong but i think it's there's a balance there to be found. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I, uh, definitely a deep conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it is right. And, and it's like, Hey folks, future Steve here. Just uh, wanted to insert a little bit of commentary here as the discussion Steve and I have here about our feelings regarding Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards of the Coast. This was all recorded before any of the controversy around the new open gaming license that they're proposing for use with 1D&D came out and uh, any of the subsequent discussion around that happened. I think it's fair to say both of us have opinions around that, but um, it was not something we knew about at the time we recorded this, so there's no mention of that here. And um, we will be doing some shows at least partially about that in the future. All right. Thanks. You know, when I was having this conversation the other night, it, you know, the, the, the one other person was very much kind of in this weird, like, and I should also say that from my perspective, one of my biggest problems with D and D is not, there are, are things that I don't care for in the game design, but my biggest problem is much more Watsy and Hasbro than it is the game itself. You know, I am, yeah. <laughs> very, very, very upset with the fact that they are essentially trying to destroy the core of the hobby. And when I say that, what I'm referring to is some of Watsy's sales practices. You, I, any of our listeners can go onto Amazon and buy books cheaper than your friendly local game store can buy them from their distributor. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah, sorry, it's, it's that's just gross. Yes, that's that's shitty on the part of the publisher. Okay? That is that is you know, and and it's anti small business. It's anti like it's some people will say it's pro consumer. It's not. It's it's anti small business, and it is it is just being being gross for the sake of being gross because you claim to be the market leader, mm-hmm. and and that's I mean. Hasbro has been like that Hasbro products and it's Disney, it's Hasbro. It's, you know, all of those, all of those companies all boil back to 
the the finger thing means money and hasbro's gross about that in general hasbro's especially bad as a toy manufacturer i think like one of my weird hobbies is is nerf right Mm -hmm. nerf blasters and and modding and all of that hasbro for a long time has been has been plastering on their boxes just like they plaster on the D books that they are the number one blaster brand they're not there's a ton of other ones that are way better than hasbro and have been doing it for longer than hasbro and objectively they're not the best they may be the best selling because they're the market like quote-unquote leader but yeah and, and they do that with D too they plaster it where the the best selling or best tabletop rpg world's greatest role-playing game says so right yeah on the cover. yeah it's it's right on the right on the freaking book and it's like it's just gross it's just gross all around and that's gross business practices and and stuff that like i have my qualms with the game and i think my qualms are amplified because they do such gross business practices yeah, and, and look, I mean, I, I understand it's a business and they're trying to make a profit and because of their volume, they can do things that other publishers can't. But at some point, you know, when you're, if game shops hadn't been there, the market would never have gotten anywhere near where it is. Right. And at some point, you you still need them to grow the community that stays enthused. And that's that's like I said, that's in all honesty, my my bigger complaint is actually with the company more than the game. And and I don't know, like, it's just how I feel about it. Well, I'm very much on this. I would play the game again, but I'm not going to support the company. Mm-hmm. If I play the game again, I'm going to play with the books I have or borrow somebody else's books. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not spending any more money on Hasbro products. Not. I'll support third party. I'll support people like Russ Morrissey, but Cobalt Press, Green Cobalt Ronin. Press, yeah, Green Ronin, any of them. But I'm no longer like if somebody has the newest book, great. If they don't, oh well, we're gonna play this version I have. If you want to play in that setting, hey, you want to spend your money on it, go for it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to spend your money on it, don't. I think everybody as you know, in a free market, you have the right to buy what you want and not buy what you want absolutely i'm just i'm not supporting it anymore i i not that i absolutely regret investing in it but i do i already have the books so i might as well just you know already have these what's the difference yeah i I feel a lot the same way you know i have what i have and i don't feel the need to buy anything more and the other thing i'm very concerned that as they push the digital integration, it's it's going to become more and and this I think was was where I felt fourth edition pushed very hard was it was choose option A from options A through D, not what do you want to do? Oh yeah, and I'm very I'll just say scared because I don't know a better term. But that with pushing digital integration, be it with D&D Beyond, etc., and players and GMs, I don't want to say wanting to take the easy way out because I, that's not the, the, the really it's the all, sentiment I have. It, but It's all about how the 
company is pushing the easiest method of consumption. There you go. And because they're pushing that their digital is the easiest method of consumption, it, I see where you're going with this. It's it's going to drive physical book sales even further down than they already are. I've been joking sort of semi-seriously about I'm waiting for the announcement that one D&D is going to be a monthly subscription. And everybody, everybody that I've said that to goes, oh, I hate that you're right. Yeah. And the fact of it is, is that in the world that they've built, it's absolutely believable that one D&D, they could come out tomorrow, you know, January 3rd and be like, we've decided one D&D is going to have a monthly subscription of $10 a month and you'll get all of this. And that that is going to be, you know, that's how we lock our content behind a paywall, which is going to be the biggest thing. I, 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 the biggest barrier to entry in this hobby is the cost of playing the game. Yeah. Period. Hands down. And I think for me, the, the thing that I've always loved about this hobby is that it's like buying a list of reusable ingredients. Mm hmm. And if it goes to a monthly subscription, now I'm just buying the same ingredients every month. Yep. And yes, yep. they're going to add stuff. Don't, don't, I, I know they will. No, right? I understand. There's going to be a value proposition. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're going to be completely corrupt right off the hop. What I am saying is that over time, oh, I could absolutely see them going, look at, I, I, I don't, I hate to draw this comparison, but look at all of the, all of your streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Disney Plus, all of them. The value add is rarely new content. A lot of the time, the value add is old existing content that you could have owned in another medium or in another format. Mm -hmm. And I think if they go to a monetization platform, a monetization style where it is monthly, they're going to try and sell you the same books again and again and again and again disguised as a monthly as a monthly subscription. Yeah. And the sad part is is I really wish that I really wish that wasn't the case. I think that's just wrong. And yeah, I get it. Okay. There are games out there that are doing a monthly subscription like what was it? Invisible Sun. They were doing a monthly subscription each month. You got new content. Okay. But I feel like if you stopped your subscription with invisible sun, you kept what existed already. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. I feel like Hasbro is going to be going to do this in a way where if you stop your subscription with D and D you lose what you already had because you never bought it in the first place. It was never actually yours. You were just borrowing it from them. You're renting it as opposed to purchasing Owning. it. Yep. Yeah. I I think that's where I'm scared. Yeah. I know that's such a doom and gloom take. And I understand there's a lot of people out there that are like, don't want to think about it that way. I just, I, I watch what they're doing and I see it and I, in my brain, I go, well, that's the next logical step. And that's gross. Yeah. I don't know. Didn't intend to go on a hate rant there, but it, no, I, I thought I, it, I can I don't hate the game. I, I hate the company that owns the game. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm, there are a lot of factors about the game that I prefer games doing that type of thing in a different manner. 
that being said, I think it is absolutely a game that you and I and anyone else can have a lot of fun playing. I have had a lot of fun playing mm-hmm. that game. I, I I have lots of stories of playing that game and having a lot of fun with it. It's just the company behind it is gross. And I, you know, every once in a while we have to reiterate why we don't <laughs> care for D&D. And it always boils back to sort of this conversation. Yep. Well, it's new year and, uh, you know, new session time, of. Yeah. <laughs> time to reiterate the same, <laughs> not the same, but you know, it, it, and I don't mean to rag on it. Like I said, you like what you like. Hey, if you'd like Dungeons and Dragons, I hope that we can provide you some useful content because our whole goal here is to try and provide people with valuable advice that can work across multiple games. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all the, at the end of the day, that's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to make everybody better players and better GM. Mm-hmm. And not saying we're perfect ourselves, but Heaven we're just know. trying to help you get better. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and then I think we had a, a short conversation after our last Monster of the Week session, and I think I said as much is that that realization of kind of just painting a big stroke of what you want to do with an action as opposed to worrying about minor, you know, not minor, but little details, and and thinking in that manner is something that you can take back to another game and enhance the experience with. Oh, yeah. Because, well, and think about it in terms of, again, going back to D&D. If I have a grand scope or a grand plan for combat or maybe not even combat, just something we're investigating, if I lay out my plan to the table, even if I can only do a small portion of it, the table now knows what I have in my mind and what would, what I would like to do and can either cooperate with me or not. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a valuable thing to keep in mind is that, yeah, just, sorry, just go ahead and, and lay it out there and let them, let the players, let the table decide what they want to do, how they want to participate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's about enhancing your, your skills and your toolbox. I think is, is the biggest thing to be taken away from, from playing some other games. And, you know, maybe we take it a little bit to an extreme and that we play almost exclusively other games, but at the same time, like, I don't know, it, it also works for me. You know, I, I don't get stale, so to speak. Yeah. I, it works for me too. I don't know. And I think that, you know, circles into does you know, our crunch and and narrative and creativity in any way exclusive. And I don't think they are at all, but I think sometimes you need to venture into other directions besides maybe your favorite one to find some things that maybe you didn't know you liked. Right. And you can then, you know, take bits of that back and enhance what you know you like. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree completely. Okay. (sighs) That was long, drawn out, rambling, and somewhat focused. Oh, uh, that's that's. Have you seen? <laughs> have you heard our podcast? No, never, <laughs> never, never listened to it. Not once. <laughs> Can't stand those guys. Oh, all right. So all that said and rambled on, let's do some game of the week. Game of the week. Woohoo! Game of the week. Game of the week. All right. Who's going first? I got one, unless right. you want to go first. Nah, go ahead. So, having 
gotten to play some some Powered by the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I've actually picked a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Aha! And it just came out. Uh, literally, let's see. It was added to the catalog on the thirty first. So New Year's Eve. Okay. As we record this, January second, right? It is called Biojacked by Joshua Flanagan, and I can link that to you if you need it, or if you can find it. Great. I'll throw uh, it in. I believe I have found it. Okay. Pay what you want, so you can't argue with the price. <laughs> it's a cyberpunk slash biofunk tabletop RPG. This is the idea that alongside like alongside mechanical alterations to your body, you could have, you know, biomechanical alterations to your body. Mm-hmm. It looks really cool. It's pay what you want. I picked it up already. I think it seems like a really neat idea. Definitely has a dark and gritty feel. Has a lot of like the idea of what is humanity and what's what's left behind and and yeah, I think it's cool. Uh, no, it does know. look neat. I picked it up for at worst, you know, I throw it down on a table for a one shot or something. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's Biojacked. No, that looks interesting. It really does. Kind of yeah, a biopunk. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're starting to do like I was doing. I was sitting there looking at it. I'm like, huh. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, yeah, that looks interesting. All right. Well, so you kind of remember how I said partway through this that I've been having this strange thoughts about going back to like three, five, whatever. Uh huh. Well, I stumbled across this the other day. What my game of the week is, is. It's actually not a game per se, so much as it's a bundle. And uh, hang on, I'll I'll just link it to you. It's what they're calling the Third Era PDF Mega Bundle. Oh. This is from Green Ronin Publishing. Now, this is going to set you back 30 bucks. However, the combined retail or combined retail value is damn near $700. (laughs) Yeah. What this is is a a little over 70 of the assorted supplements, source books, setting materials, etc. that Green Ronin published from 2000 to 2008. You know, source books, a whole bunch of stuff for their Freeport setting, just, you know, lots and lots and lots and lots of things. Yeah. And that's cool. Like, like I said, I've been having this weird whatever about three five and i don't know that i want to go back to it lock stock and barrel but i mean look the volume of infer yeah, volume of information and inspiration for thirty dollars yeah that's worth it and i believe there are some stuff there is some stuff in here that was never actually released before i thought i saw something about that now they do note down at the bottom of this you know look in the last 22 years Things have changed in the world. And they say right up front, you know, yeah, there are things in some of these books that if they were to publish them now, they'd handle them differently. But they're also, you know, they say, look, it is, in a way, it's a historical record. So it is what it is. And I I think, you know, look, you can't whitewash history because if you whitewash it, you don't learn from it. So that that element of it is what it is. But yeah, I just think, you know, like I said, there's, there's a lot of stuff here. A whole lot. I think it's worth looking at at the, at the very least. And again, 
probably not the uh, least productive $30 you'd ever spend on gaming PDFs. No, I, I think that's a pretty worthwhile thing. You know, a lot of it is 3.0, a lot of it is 3.5. Um, there's also stuff that I think is completely lore-based that really has no mechanics in it whatsoever. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's can, cool. That's called the Third Era PDF Mega Bundle from Green Ronin. So definitely, uh, definitely check that out. Yeah, and I haven't bought it yet. Yet being the keyword. <laughs> yet being the operative term. Yeah. Oh dang, dude! I just looked. It's almost a gig. <laughs> that's a whole lot of stuff. That is a whole lot of stuff. All right. Well, I think with all that being said, we want to remind everyone, as always, links to everything are in the show notes. Uh, Discord, Facebook, Twitter, Patreon. Yeah, Patreon. Thank you, Patreon people. Thank you, patrons. And with all that being said, I want to thank you for listening and remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. for the cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.